Thank you. No great decision was ever taken, no important step was ever embarked upon by the early church without the guidance of the Spirit. The early church was a Spirit-guided community. In the first 13 chapters of Acts, there are, more, there are more than 40 references to the Holy Spirit. The early church was a Spirit-filled church, and precisely therein lay its power. We're just in the beginning of this uh, series through the book of Acts, and uh, really exciting that uh, um, Evan invited me to, to share and to speak about and to teach from um, Acts chapter 2. That's where we are tonight, Acts chapter 2, and we're right at the very beginning of that chapter. Mm-hmm. Evan introduced the series to us um, last week, and uh, and for those of you who uh, maybe didn't get to hear that message and maybe aren't familiar, Acts is actually uh, part two of a correspondence between um, a, a man, a doctor named Luke, um, who was um, loved Jesus and followed Jesus, wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, but he um, kind of picked up the uh, responsibility, or maybe was called by the Holy Spirit, this responsibility to uh, kind of put together a historical account of what Jesus did. And so his volume one is actually the gospel of Luke, um, and that tells the story about Jesus' life. And then he goes on, and he continues the story to tell the the story about um, the the early church and how the church began. And um, and so we pick up in chapter 2, um, Evan introduced to us last week that uh, Jesus, in chapter 1, Jesus is with the disciples, and he's, um, he's getting ready now, he's, he's already been crucified, he's already been resurrected, he's, he's hung out with his disciples, with his followers uh, for uh, weeks, and then it was his time um, to return to heaven. And so he ascends to heaven. And, uh, and now we pick it up in chapter 2 because Jesus had left this instruction um, to wait, to wait, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit before you do anything else. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had been talking about the Holy Spirit with his disciples for uh, quite a while. In fact, he started that discussion even before his crucifixion. And um, I'm sure that he had that conversation several times in the weeks after his resurrection, before his ascension. But in chapter 2, it opens up with the disciples waiting. Uh, Just go back, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. This is what Jesus said. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, uh, the disciples, his followers, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, that would be John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 describes Jesus' physical birth. That's one uh, one of the accounts of the Christmas story, right? Jesus being born into a human body, fully God, fully human, born uh, into a physical body. And Acts chapter 2 describes the birth of Jesus' spiritual body, the church. 
Isn't that cool? I didn't know that until I just started, you know, getting ready for this. That's, that's cool. So, like, Luke's got it going on. He's like, okay, let's see. Well, they didn't do chapters and verses when he actually wrote it. That was later. But whoever did that was like, hey, Luke chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. This is going to be good. Let's see if anybody picks up on that. Well, let's start our chapter tonight. If you've got it, Acts chapter 2, look at verse 1. Here it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, that's the believers, right, 120 of them gathered together. We're not talking about the 12 disciples minus Judas would make it 11, but in the end of chapter 1, they recruit one more, and so we're back to 12. It's okay, I'm just trying to bring you up to speed. On the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they, 120 believers, were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other um, tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So here God uh, gives the gift that Jesus had promised. He had said, wait, wait, wait. And now, 50 days after Passover, they celebrate this, what's called the uh, the Feast of Weeks or the um, Festival of Lights. Uh, you've got this, uh, this celebration in Jerusalem. And this is when God decides to give the gift. And he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit with both an audible and a visual uh, effect. It's so cool, isn't it? So they hear, they didn't feel a wind, they heard something that reminded them about a blowing wind, and then they saw what looked like tongues of fire that separated and hovered over each one of them. This word uh, in, the, in the Greek, this word pneuma, is a word that can be translated either wind or spirit, right? And so it describes what... That even in that word describes what they heard. And all through the Old Testament, there are these references to God's spirit being compared to a wind, being compared to fire. A couple of examples. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, when uh, that's one of God's prophets, and God takes him to this valley where there are just all of these skeletons, all of these bones laying on the ground. And God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. And because of your prophecy, me working through you, I'm going to raise them up to be an army of people, right? And it's God's breath. The winds came. It says like the four winds of heaven came and breathed life into those bones and brought them together and brought them to life. In John chapter 20, verse 22, says that Jesus breathed on the disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, one of my favorite examples uh, of God's spirit or God's presence being um, identified with fire is in the book of Exodus. After uh, Moses is and the Israelites are kind of kicked out of Egypt, right, by Pharaoh, and they're like, get out, we are tired of you. And they're traveling and they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changes his mind and he's, he's chasing after them. But it's so cool in Exodus 
chapter 13. It's so sweet because God is leading his people in the day as a pillar of uh, smoke or cloud and at night as a pillar of fire. And in that moment when the army of Pharaoh, one of the most powerful uh, uh, armies in the whole world at that time, was chasing them down. They had no place to go. And God, in that pillar of fire, moved behind the people and put, them, put himself between his people and, and the, um, the army of Pharaoh. It's incredible. Over and over and over, all through the Old Testament, we see God's presence, God's power, God's, uh, God's spirit connected or um, symbolized by wind and by fire. Well, what happened right there in chapter 2? And I want to, I want to just, uh, I want to pause on this point for just a second. But the um, both spirit baptism and spirit filling, those are two separate, different actions that the Holy Spirit takes uh, in our lives. Right? A spirit, uh, spirit baptism and spirit filling, and both of those things happen right here at the beginning of chapter two. Now, Luke tells us about the spirit filling. It says that right there, right, in, in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. But we know that spirit baptism also took place. How do we know that? That's a great question. Let me tell you how we know that. Because Jesus prophesied that that was going to happen. He says that right there. We read it already in chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus says, hang out here because in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we also know that it happened right there because Peter um, talks about that in chapter 11. He talks about this experience and he says, we were baptized with the Spirit. Okay? So Spirit baptism happened right there and Spirit filling also happened. Now, spirit baptism is, the, is something that the Holy Spirit does in believers' lives only one time. At the moment when a person puts their faith in Christ as Savior, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. They are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit, God's Spirit, comes and lives inside that believer. Spirit baptism happens one time. But this idea of spirit filling, it's not an idea, this happening of spirit filling happens over and over and over in the life of a believer. In fact, God commands believers to be filled with the Spirit. It says so in Ephesians 5, says it in several other places. A filling of the Spirit results in the Spirit controlling or influencing a believer. And a believer's experience, uh, believers experience spirit control to the extent that they yield to his direction. And that's a really, really important point because as we read, as we read through the book of Acts, we're going to notice over and over and over again, it says they were filled with the Spirit. And then you watch what happens after those words, boom, something big happens. The early church was so open to the Holy Spirit 
leading and guiding and directing everything that they did. And when the Holy, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, amazing things happened. But here's the thing. Through this whole series, here's the thing. The whole big thesis for the whole series is that what happens in the book of Acts can happen today. It's the same God. They're the same. He works in the same ways. To the degree that we don't experience that, I think is the degree that we're not opening ourselves to the Spirit's control. We limit what God can do in our life. We limit that. In the book of Acts, whenever Luke says that the disciples were spirit-filled, it is always connected with a gospel proclamation or some kind of specific outreach over and over and over. If you're in a small group, um, one of the small groups that are uh, meeting, if you're not and you want to be and you should be, it'll be great. We're not supposed to say should, are we? Um, if you want to be and you should be, uh, make sure that you hook up with Derek because he can give you the information about our small groups. But in our small groups, that's one of the things that we're going to explore this week. Those groups are going to talk about over and over and over when, when the disciples were spirit-filled, man, they were moved to make a difference in the communities that they lived in. It's amazing to watch. Let's keep reading. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, that's the sound like the rushing wind, right? A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Uh, utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, Galileans, that's a little bit of a derogatory kind of um, uh, grouping, right? Galilee was up north, and that's kind of where the that's kind of where the Hicks and the Rednecks lived, right? They weren't, they weren't cultured, right? And so when they say like, um, aren't those guys kind of Galileans? Like, I don't get how they're speaking all those languages, right? Not necessarily schooled really well, didn't have a great reputation, had a little bit of an accent. You know what I'm saying? So you can make whatever comparisons and contrast to today that you want, but that was the comment, right? Uh, we don't really get what's going on because these guys, rednecks, right? Right? It was a derogatory kind of comment. And they were confused. These people, they were here. They were, um, I told Evan I wasn't going to get on the rabbit trail. But the, the truth is, the truth is, now listen, the truth is that it says house, but the word house can also be translated temple. And so there's, a, there's, really, good, there's really good reasoning to think that they were meeting the disciples, those 120 people, they weren't in a room somewhere. They were in the temple. And all these other people were in the temple and they're worshiping and they're hearing this commotion. And then they, there's this crowd that draws and they start asking questions. And they're like, who are these hicks that are in the temple that are speaking other languages? And they understood. Now look, here's, it, it wasn't one or two places. Look at it. Verse 8, then how is it if these guys are 
Galileans, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? There were assembled there Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene and visitors also from Rome. There were Jews and converts to Judaism. There were Cretans, and that's not like a, that's not a derogatory. They were from the actual island of Crete, which is very unfortunate that they would be called Cretans. But anyway, and Arabs. And all of those people heard what the disciples were saying, what, this, what the believers were saying. They heard them worshiping God in their own native language. That's the work of the Spirit that happened on Pentecost, that God, through His Spirit, allowed these men who didn't know those languages, not just men, men and women, that didn't know those languages to speak those languages. The miracle was not in the hearing, the miracle was in the speaking. That's really important to understand. Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This celebration called Pentecost was, it, it required uh, men with, uh, a, that were able within 20 miles of Jerusalem to come and visit Jerusalem. But it drew people, uh, Jews from uh, all over the world, and they would make this journey uh, once a year, and they would. It was a big celebration. It lasted a full week, and it's estimated that the population in Jerusalem swelled to about three million people. I also read this week that the temple, the inner court, the outer courts, that immediate area, could hold like up to one hundred and fifty thousand people. Like that's a that's twice rapid. Dude, I mean, like, so we don't know that it was full. I mean, maybe it was a down day. It might have been really nice and people were camping. But probably not. They were there, right? They were, that's just for this audience. That's all I'm saying. But they, but they weren't. They, they were there. They were there first. They were celebrating this, this, um, this feast. And in the midst of that is what God chose. To say, oh, I'm going to give a gift. And then he gives a gift with an audible and a visual. And it draws people's attention. And then they hear these Galileans worshiping. And their interest is drawn. Their curiosity is raised. And then God has their attention. And they begin asking like, what is going on? This is really interesting. In the early part of the book of Genesis, there's this little short story about this thing called Babel, the Tower of Babel. I won't go into all of it, but go look it up. And at the Tower of Babel, men were pursuing themselves. And God thwarted their sin by confusing their language. But at Pentecost, God clarified language in order to reveal 
his solution to sin. While the crowd was wondering what the heck was happening, Peter, who just a few weeks before had denied even knowing Jesus when he was questioned by a servant girl, Peter, same guy, stands up and begins to speak, begins to address, begins to answer and explain what is going on. Where did Peter's courage come from? The indwelling Holy Spirit. God himself, God's spirit was in Peter, and Peter stood up, and honestly, from that day forward, Peter's a different guy. Peter stands up and he begins to preach that the same spirit that the prophet Joel had talked about was the same spirit that the crowd was seeing in action that day. Look at it in verse 16. Peter says, no, we are not drunk. That is not what's going on. Nice try in the back, but that is not it, right? Let me tell you what's going on. This is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. This isn't a guy thing. This isn't a man thing. This is all people, men and women. When we're following the Lord, we have access and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we confess and we seek Jesus as our Savior. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now listen, Peter's not saying that that moment at Pentecost is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Joel because none of those other things happened on Pentecost. What Peter is saying and what Peter's understanding, Peter's making the connection because of the Holy Spirit in him is helping him to understand what he's memorized as a kid. And he's saying, what you're seeing here is that same spirit. It's not a fulfillment of the prophecy yet. That's going to happen later. What's happening now is that same spirit that Joel talked about. That's what you're seeing now. That's what you're seeing now. There's a great quote. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus said to his believers, he said to his followers, wait, wait, wait for the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus knew that what they had been commissioned to do in the kingdom was only possible with the power and the wisdom and the direction of the Holy Spirit. If, they, if Jesus had gone back to heaven and the guy said, all right, let's go, let's get started. Failure. 
Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. Nothing has changed from that time when Jesus said, wait for the Spirit. But guess what? If we're believers, we have the Spirit. We don't need to wait now. Let's go. Let's go. We have what we need inside of us. Warren Wiersbe is one of my favorite commentators. I love it because he uses simple words. And I really, I can understand everything that he writes. Some of these guys, eh, I, I don't get it. I, nah, I just chuck it to the side and I get somebody that I can understand. And I can understand this. And here's what I want to share with you. This is what he says about Acts chapter 2. It says, the early church had none of the things that we think are so essential for success today. They didn't have a building. They didn't have money, they didn't have political influence, they didn't have social status, and yet the church won multitudes to Christ and saw many churches established throughout the Roman world. Why? Because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit energizing its ministry. Now listen folks, our mission Today is the same as the commission that Jesus gave to his followers in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you realize when you read Matthew chapter 28, he says that and then he leaves? And if you just read it and you don't understand it, you're like, oh, hold on. He just said, I'll be with you forever. And then he leaves. But we miss the part where he says, wait, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. God's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That's Jesus' Spirit. When Jesus says to his disciples, when they're saying, dude, where are you going? He's saying, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified. I'm going to leave. And he says, but don't worry. It'll be better for you when I'm gone. And they're like, say, what? No, I don't think so. We like this. We like this little club that we got going on. There are 13 of us. One of us is kind of a doofus. That's going to work itself out in a little bit. But listen, we kind of like what we have going on. We don't want you to go. Jesus says, it'll be better for you if I go. What he means is I won't be confined by this body anymore. When I go, God can pour out my spirit on you. I won't just be with you, next to you. I'll be in you. And I will live my life through you if you let me. If you let me. And we're to do the same thing today that Peter began to do on Pentecost. To explain to people what God has done and how we should respond to it. At the core of Peter's message, at least the part that I'm looking at tonight, at the core of the message is, is what Peter quotes from the um, prophet Joel, the very last verse. Look, in verse 20 it says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the critical message. And that, that statement 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That statement prompts every person on earth to ask one question. Have I called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Every person on earth has got to answer that question. And the way that a person answers that question determines their experience through eternity. Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Have you ever asked the question? Have you, ever, have you answered the question? If your answer to the question is yes, you have then the second question that you've got to answer, you've got to wrestle with, is, is your life a testimony to what God has done in you? This was the thing that made the church in Acts so potent. Their lives were witnesses to what God was doing in them. I want to be really careful right here. Because I am not saying, listen, if your life is not perfect, that doesn't mean that it's not being a witness. It's not about being perfect. It is about allowing God through His Spirit to live His life through you. And it will not look perfect because it's got to go through this filter. It will not always look right. But can your life, is your life a witness that says God is doing something here in me? He's changing me. That's the question. It's the question for tonight, but it's the question through the rest of this series too. Is your life a witness to what God has done in you? Let me pray for us while we consider that. God, there are some here that may not be able to say yes to that first question. They may not have asked, they may not have ever said and cried out and called out for you to be the Lord and the Savior of their life. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to, to pursue them. Father, I pray for them tonight, and I ask that you would give them the courage to surrender to you. Surrender means give up. Give up to you. Father, there are many people who are listening tonight who can say, yes, I have. God, I pray that you would bring conviction through your Holy Spirit if their life is not a witness to what you are doing in them. Your Spirit is powerful. Father, we invite you to come and to live your life through us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.